back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you as ever in association with our good friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole gamut of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Of course, we are available across a wide range of podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. We're also an Amazon Music Podcast as well. If you like us, please hit the subscribe button. Please give us a review. It really helps in both ways. You will not miss an episode. Now, our guest this time is, well, he's not quite a Greek freak. He's more a high flyer. He's the former BBL Coach of the Year who's gearing up for, well, what we're told will be the start of the season next week. Andreas Kapoulos of Bristol Flyers. Welcome to the MVP cast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. We are, as we chat Eight days away from the start of the BBL season. Um, if you're a betting man, I'm not sure you are. Being Greek, you probably are. Are we going to start on time? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, and no one really knows that, I think. Um, we're preparing for it. Um, you know, we, we're we hoping that we'll be able to, uh, to get things going. Um, I think we just need to see how things progress the next few days. Uh, but it's not it's not very clear cut. I mean, the government has said uh, that they're, they're looking to support it. And, and I think it's just kind of getting uh, things confirmed from the league and, uh, and, and officially come out with fixtures and say we're starting. But we're certainly hoping that we can start at the end of this month. And as you say, it's like eight days away or so, um, you know, uh, we we've been we've started playing preseason games and uh, and certainly we'll uh, we would like to see to see the cup fixture starting um, yeah so um, let, let's cross our fingers that uh, you know we can get going with things. Give us a sense of the protocols because you know you have to manage this very carefully and there are, you know there's government protocols there's the protocols the club will put in what on a daily basis just a stage practice before we talk uh, about the games do you have yeah. to do. Yeah, we're just following the return to play from uh, Basketball England and and also the BBL protocols as well uh, that we have been discussing throughout the clubs. I mean, um, on a daily basis, uh, we go through a questionnaire. We take players' uh, temperatures. Uh, we find out, uh, you know, we're asking if they have any symptoms, uh, if any, there haven't been any situations that we had any symptoms or high temperature, which is very positive. But, you know, there is a one-way process in terms of our facility. We need to meet outside our facility to do all the temperature checks. Uh, you know, we got a, I got to wear a mask during the session. Uh, we maintain still social distancing during practice. Every 20 minutes, uh, we use sanitizing gels. Uh, we wipe the equipment uh, before practice, after practice. Uh, so it just, it's a series of things that we got to do. Uh, and we're falling to the, to the letter of the law, really. Um, and uh, we're thankful we haven't had any, any positive cases so far. And uh, long it may continue. Um, and, 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 you know, we're looking at the, at the testing procedures as well. Um, j- just, just doing everything we can to ensure uh, players and staff uh, are in a safe environment, basically. I mean, it's been a longer preseason 
than was expected. And, you know, players, you know, players come in, you know, there was the uncertainty, you've at least you've been able to get, you know, a few preseason games underway. As a coach, how does that alter things in terms of, you know, keeping guys focused, you know, because, you know, you're always, usually you're building up to the first game. So there's a bit of energy and adrenaline about it all with, with this little question mark that's still out there about when day one's going to be. How as a coach have you had to alter maybe the, the way you would have done things in previous years? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, from day one, I said to our guys when we met, and, and we're almost entering now, um, uh, you know, like week five of being together as a group. And uh, I think I told them from day one that, you know, we got to control what we can control. Um, you know, we we didn't have a definitive date in terms of, of the, the league starting or the season starting. Um, so so it's not easy to manage. And, and, and from a planning perspective, you know, as you say, you don't know exactly when you're starting official games. So it's very difficult. But I think... We've taken it a week at a time and we've just uh, prepared the team like we would do under normal circumstances. And, um, you know, I have to say I'm, uh, our, our group has been amazing throughout this. Uh, the, the energy, the competitive spirit and and I think the focus has been uh, ex- exceptionally good. Um, and... Um, just it's difficult there's there's no easy way around but at the end of the day um we just gotta take it a day at a time and 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 you know the preseason games have helped a little bit you know we we played away in london and and then we had a Sheffield one and we have a couple coming up this weekend as well um it, it certainly helps because it's 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 an opportunity to measure up to see how you've been doing with practices where you are in terms of of the system and what we're trying to do at both ends of the court. So, um, so I, I think there, there's no way answer. It's just, just control what we can control and, and, and just take it a day at a time. Does that go a little bit for the season as well? Because you know, we've seen Newcastle and with Leicester. This virus is, is going to creep in somewhere. This isn't the NBA and the bubbles with all the sort of millions yeah. of dollars that's around. I mean, do you... Do you have to almost prepare yourself to sort of take the full season in that way, knowing there will be there'll be games called off at Shortner? Does there's there's that risk that you guys will have a two week out of action period at some point? I mean, is is that unfortunately have to be at the back of your mind now going into this? Yeah, I think we've got to have a flexible approach to it uh, because the reality is things like that will happen. Uh, you know, you, as you, you mentioned Newcastle, uh, there was a, a player tested positive, uh, so they had to uh, cancel the game in late notice. And I think uh, when we get uh, things going, um, I, I think there are things to be expected and, and we will have to be flexible because uh, the players and the staff safety is number one priority. Um, and we'll have to find a way to work through this. And um, uh, you, you know, it's definitely circumstances that we haven't lived before, but we have to be uh, we have to be ready to adapt. And um, and and I think all, all all the clubs are are thinking the same mentality. Um, it's not it's not easy. And and from a coaching perspective, you know, uh, you're preparing say all week for a particular game, and 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 you're going through your uh, weekly schedule, and then suddenly you find out 24 hours before that you might not have a game, that you might not have a game. Uh, it's not easy to take. There's a player's disappointment, but I think. Um, I think we live in these extraordinary times, and and I think you know we all got to accept it's not going to be what it would be under regular circumstances. But at the same time, I think 
playing games and 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 having a league season uh, i think it's important for the sport i think it's important for the communities that every club serves um and and i think it's it's very important for the sport uh we we should definitely um try to give it a go uh, and obviously if things escalate then we will need to consider what the options are but i, I think not having basketball for a whole year it's going to be detrimental i think for the clubs but i think for the league as such as well let's dial back a bit obviously yeah. you're from greece you you had a life before pitching up in this country and, and starting with the flyers give it give us a flavor where did the fervor for basketball first come from for you um you know i mean um basketball boomed in the 80s in Greece. Um, in 87, the national team won the European Championship and and it became the national sport. Um, I mean, football was always big, but I think uh, in the 80s, basketball grew tremendously and, and I was growing up in the 80s. Um, and, and, you know, you have players like Galis, Yanakis, Fasulas, they were like, um, you know, those type of players that kind of took basketball in Greece to another level. And uh, in the 90s, um, a lot of money sponsors came into the league. The Luke grew. It was arguably a, the best in, in Europe at the time. Um, and uh, that's where I fell in love with the game. I started playing at a very young age. I think it was about six, seven. Um, and uh, I, I, was, I was hooked. I did a little bit of other sports, uh, like I did a bit of swimming and, and handball and things like that. Um, but uh, fr- from the get-go, um, basketball captured my interest, um, and and I just I, I just I just I just uh, enjoyed how 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 the game was. And and the thing is, in Greece, you played from such a young age as well. You do start at the age of six, seven. And um, there is a clear pathway. Um, so yeah, it's it, it has been um, it, it has been quite the journey playing in Greece, and and certainly now I've lived here um, in in the UK longer than I actually uh, I lived <laughs> in Greece. Um, but you're thinking those first steps, and I, I mean I still remember the first ever game I watched, and it was an Olympiakos versus Panathinaikos game. And who were you supporting of those two most critically? Uh, Olympiakos. I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a red supporter. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a red supporter. Uh, I, I do love the red. And, and you know, the funny thing is, we have Panos Magindobe on the team, and Panos played for Panathinaikos, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 he. It's it's always interesting. And we won the first battle this year, uh, so I think I had bragging rights on Panos as well. Uh, but you know, in Greece, in Greece, where you're growing up, I mean, uh, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos um, were were huge. In the, in the 90s and, and obviously they're the two dominant teams that everyone knows now in Europe but uh, Aris and Pauk were the two teams in the 80s that were battling and obviously Gallis and Yanakis played for Aris as well and, and they had much success in the 90s as well I mean basketball uh, in the 80s, 90s in Greece was just uh, un- unbelievable really and, and I think that's why I got hooked in the game just watching those type of level games uh, growing up watching someone like Gallis, uh, it's just uh, unbelievable. And games against uh, Drazen Petrovic and some other guys, basically, uh, uh, it had just been an exceptional experience. I mean, Gallis was a phenomenal player and one of, one of the absolute all-time greats. I mean, you said about that first game being the 
the Athens Perez Derby. I mean, you know, what was that like as a young boy walking into there? Because those aren't quiet affairs. No, they're not quiet affairs, and and I and I've been to watch a few of those, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it's very lively, very passionate. Let's just say, um, uh, like I think Greek fans are renowned for uh, for throwing bottles, coins, and <laughs> keys uh, on those games, and certainly they're, they're quite hated. But but I mean, um, uh, it, it's a little bit more managed. These days, I think maybe when when it was managed then, but, it's managed uh, by more riot police than the one of the games I've been to. That's the management. Yeah, of it all. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think the interesting thing is those games. Um, as a fan, is one thing experience, but when you ask players that have played for those teams, what it has been like to play against each other, uh, I mean, they will tell you it's a it's an experience of a lifetime. I think uh, you know there there is all the derbies like the Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Uh, and, and you know you can talk in the states when North University of North Carolina when they're playing Duke, but but the Olympiacos Panathinaikos game, uh, to, I mean it's just a completely different experience. It feels a little bit like war sometimes, um, and, and, it, and it's not a healthy thing. I think some, you know I think it's great to have the passion, but sometimes it can get and, and tip over. Uh, but certainly I think watching those two teams going against each other. Uh, is is an experience, and as a young player growing up and and watching the different players that have played for those teams, uh, it, it was another thing that just made me fall in love with the game. Really, I mean, my favorite player was a guy called Eddie Johnson. Um, he played only for one year in Olympiacos, and 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 obviously he was, I think he was sixth man of the year in the NBA. Mm. Um, and I, I just I just love watching him. I, I still remember the semi final. In the final four, in the Euroleague final four, in the semi final against Panathinaikos, where he got really hot and, and won the game for Olympiacos, really. Uh, unfortunately, then they had to meet, uh, if I'm correct, they were playing against Real Madrid in the final with Sabonis, and, and it was a different story there. But uh, certainly, I mean, those games, I have so many memories of them. Your playing days. I mean, how you, we, we only get little fleeting glimpses of, of your playing past, but give, give, give us a sort of sense of the level and the development of yourself as a player. I started playing uh, for a club called Panellinios, which is quite a historic club in, uh, in Greece. And then I had the opportunity uh, to play for a club called Bukas, who managed to get all the way to uh, A2, which is the second highest level in, in the country. I played there when the men's team were in the third uh, professional league in Greece, and I had the opportunity to play with the men's team. I was involved a little bit with the Greek national teams in terms of selection squads. Um, and, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I think... Uh, as a player, I think I was always hard-nosed, very, you know, defensive-minded uh, and at, at the guard position. And, and you know, uh, but, but I think I, I always knew that I, I had an option to to make. Will I continue play professional basketball and see where that would take me? Or will I concentrate on my studies and at the same time play basketball? And that was where the decision with university came and if I should stay in Greece or, or try to go to, a, to another country. Um, I think it was. I, I had I had some great coaches. Uh, I think one of my coaches was at the time was the leading scorer in the in the A two, 
Um, I think as a junior, he was averaging 50 points a game. There's some stories about him. So, so I think <laughs> I have a lot of great memories of, of things like that. Um, but you know what? It feels quite a long time ago now. Um, I started coaching in my in my uh, in my twenties, in my in my early twenties. So I think uh, my playing days feel like a a long time ago. But certainly, um, you know, I grew up my generation of the eighties. Uh, there were players that came through the system, players like Yamadopoulos and Fortis, uh, who played for clubs like Panathinaikos and Olympiakos. Uh, so so I was privileged to be in a, in a generation that was inspired by the growth of the game uh, and with the national team having success. Um, so I'm privileged to say that I have played against some of the guys uh, that, that have made a name uh, in Greek basketball. Um, and it was certainly a great experience. We've talked, I mean, we talk a lot about systems I and mean, development of systems. And we've talked in this podcast with people who have come, being in the Spanish system like you know Dan Clark or you know, been through France etc we don't really talk a lot about Greece but the, the talent production line has been very formidable over the years what do what works well in Greece that we should learn from um well the, the thing is as, as well it, it the first thing I have to say is facility the access to facilities is much easier to what it is in the UK um I mean as a junior uh, some of our games would take place outdoors, even in the winter. Um, so some of our practices will be outdoors and in winter time as well. So you you have a lot more access to facility, uh, and the outdoor courts really help that aspect. Um, and you play basketball from a really young age uh, because it is the national sport, uh, football. Uh, it compete, basketball competes with football, but it is a national sport. So in terms of the pathway, you know, um, there is a junior system where you can start playing competitive games from a young age. Um, and, um, and that really helps. And also the, the junior games don't necessarily clash with the senior games. So you have opportunities where you play junior games midweek. And then you play, you have also the opportunity to play with your senior team on the weekends. That was certainly the case when I was growing up. Um, and we would train, you know, I, w- I would have weeks where I would train four or five times and play a couple of games. Um, and, and also basketball is always on TV. Uh, you, you know, either midweek, some European games, like when I was growing up, the Corets Cup and, mm. and obviously the EuroLeague and things like that. But, but also, like, you will see some really high-level basketball or weekends as well. Um, and, and I think all those things, um, Greek players are very well known for their tactical understanding. Uh, I think that's one thing that always is talked about by Greek coaches. Um, and I think it's just because they play the game from such a young age. And also there's so many opportunities to watch basketball. Um, and, and certainly that's not the case in the UK. I mean, most players would train as juniors maybe a couple of times a week. Um, and there's not as many opportunities to see live basketball on TV. Um, and, and I think that really helps the, the program. And, and they have a, you know, uh, I would say some things the UK actually, uh, like the academy structure in Greece, the academy structure is not as developed. Now it's a little bit better the last few years. Uh, but certainly you don't see like things like, 
the academy programs that we have here and EABL and all those things. Uh, even though recently I think that the academies have developed a little bit more in Greece. Um, and, and, and school basketball is pretty big there as well. So, that, so there are a few things, but I think the main things I would say is you get to see a lot of basketball and you get to play a lot from a young age. Um, and, and, and that certainly helps the development. You mentioned that decision to come to kind of leave basketball behind at that point in time and come to this country to study at, at Bath University. What what brought that decision when you reached that fork in the road? Um, I think my father had a lot to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so, wasting your life, son. Do something. Yeah, yeah. My father had a lot to, to do with it. I think, um, and, and, and I'm very grateful for it because um, sometimes growing up, you need that direction, really. And um, my father had uh, the opportunity to study here in the UK. He did his master's in London. And he he did the economics, and he always encouraged me to look at that field. Uh, from a basketball perspective, you know, growing up, I obviously wanted to see if I can play professionally and how, uh, uh, you know, what type of level I can reach. Um, but at the same time, I think I, I heard his advice, and uh, I, I think he always had a very high appreciation for his time in London. Um, and, and I have to say it was the best decision that I had taken to come to the University of Bath and study economics. Um, not, not even just from the educational side of things, uh, even just from just learning, uh, being a little bit more independent uh, at the age of 18. And, and, you know, in Greece, the Greek families, you know, you get very well looked after. <laughs> and, and and I think being more independent and, and learning from mistakes a little bit more uh, that that really helped me as a person um, and the education I mean I, I had a the University of Bath I mean I, I was uh, I was very uh, lucky to be able to secure a place and and at the time the economics department was one of the best in the country I think it still is um, and uh, it was it was a great experience and I was. And I, 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 and I was able to carry on. The, the funny thing is I never thought about it. And one of my worries is, will I be able to carry on playing basketball? Um, but I found a, a very good structure at the university. I was able to combine my studies and play basketball. Um, and uh, I enjoyed so much that, that I stayed for a few years, carrying on to do a master's degree in economics and then and then doing a, a PhD and, and with my subject in economics of sports. So, so obviously, I really enjoyed my university experience. I wanted to make it last as long as possible. Um, yeah. Because I was thinking about this, and I think, yeah, I, I think I've occasionally called you Coach K in TV commentary. This season, I'm going to start calling you Dr. K. Because <laughs> you know, I think that's only appropriate for a PhD owner. I, mean, well, a, I didn't complete my PhD, Mark. Though, so unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, basketball uh, almost over. <laughs> so, so I had three years of my PhD, and that's probably one of the things uh, I, I maybe I regret when I look back at it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, um, I had the opportunity to work at Filton College at the time, which is SGS College now, and. Um, and uh, I, I never looked back really, and it got me to where I am now. But uh, I think I think coach is fine. You don't have to call me doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as, as someone who was the worst in his class in economics at university, and uh, still is baffled by the subject, what did you learn? You, you know, you, you spent a lot of time studying this. What did you kind of learn about the economics as well? What did you focus on? 
You know why? Really, first of all, with economics, I think it it really helped me to to a lot of the things I do now uh, in terms of the management aspects and dealing with budgets uh, and the organization element. Uh, so I think that really the university experience really helped me in that. Um, I think I was always good with numbers growing up as a kid. I was very good at maths. And, and I think I did a lot of things at university that involved stats as well. Um, so econometrics was kind of an area that I really enjoyed in particular. Um, and, um, and I think then I decided to, to, do a, to, a, to do a master. And I did a master's in straight economics, which I never thought when I first, in my first year, if, if someone told me in my first year of university that I would, I would do a master's in straight economics, they would not believe it. Uh, just because my my first degree was economics and politics, um, but uh, but I decided to go in economics and then and then I found the link with sport as well. So on my PhD, I was studying the unemployment duration of football managers. Um, so I think I think I think it's the the skills I picked up, the organizational skills, um, but also uh, budget planning uh, and elements that I, I I use now in my current uh, role. Uh, with the flyers so um so yeah it, it, it was something very important and, and and i think the other thing is with the university i think all the other thing all the other life skills that you learn i talked about the independence uh of things but, but also like you know how to do presentations uh how to manage groups how to work within a team all those kind of aspects they have been valuable uh, in my time at the university of bath so basically when you're pouring over all those stuff and synergy you're the guy that understands it yeah, yeah, a little bit. I, 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 pick it up, I pick it up. I pick it up quite well. Uh, I, I just always liked maths and stats. I think that was kind of something I always had a had a passion, and I found myself naturally good at. I know some people find it a little bit difficult sometimes. I think I think that was kind of my subject area. Um, but uh, but but I do wonder also if I had decided to do something different than basketball, how life would look like now, uh, in what sector I would be and what I would do. Um, but, uh, but I think that's uh, something that uh, I would never know now, really. <laughs> you could be doing football and poring over the statistics of unemployment and scaring yourself a little less. Yeah. Well, I was looking at displacement duration of football managers and all the factors that contribute to that. Uh, so that was a, an interesting... It was a very interesting PhD uh, topic, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> Before I want to talk about you know, Bristol, I mean, the kind of educational link of coaching, you did your FIBA certificate. And the coaching yes. certificate. I mean, you, you know, there's always variability in different sports about the value of coaching education. I've spoken to NBA coaches that don't see the value in it at all. I've spoken to high-level European coaches that rave about it. What was your experience of going through a formal coaching learning process? Uh, it was valuable. Um, I think um, with, the, with the FACC, it, it was, first of all, great to be uh, around some of the most experienced coaches of the game, mm-hmm. uh, coaches like Lasso and Pesic, and uh, you know watch their lectures and ask questions and 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 learn from them, and then uh, how to prepare different projects and do presentations. Uh, so that aspect is very valuable, and I think uh, it, it helped me pick pick up things along the way. Uh, learn from some of the best, some of uh, learn from their experience. Um, so I, I think it's certainly I think that all of us 
all of us coaches have to go through because we learn every day. And I think uh, the transition from from a player uh, to a coach is certainly not an easy one. And, and I think uh, going through the qualifications, and you're going to learn through your mistakes. And I, and I, a lot in my coach career, I have learned through my mistakes. I never had really. Uh, where I was working as an assistant coach, I learned from someone. Some coaches have had the opportunity to to learn as an assistant coach. I have been in a head coaching position from the get-go. Um, and certainly having that qualification like the FECC and speak to other coaches, network with other coaches, learn from some of the greatest minds in the game uh, has been uh, valuable, really, and it has helped my development. Do you have to constantly, as a coach be a kind of, as you, as you could maybe say, a magpie of, of trying to go out there and constantly steal. I know yeah, everyone coach steals from one another. Do you have to kind of have a process by which you go, right, I'm looking at that offence. I need to borrow that. I need to, you know, I'm listening to Pesic or Bradovic talking about something. I need to write that down and use it my own way. I mean, is it a constant stream of stealing grid ideas that you can use? Yeah, I think, you know, as a young coach, you see Obradovic, oh, Obradovic is coaching like that way, so I must coach that way. But then you, you soon learn that you've got to develop your own style. And and, and, and the thing with it now, uh, there's so much information out there. I mean, uh, Twitter and, you know, clinics, webinars at the moment going on, all those kind of things with, through Zoom calls. And I think you just got to pick uh, what fits you, your personality. I think... Uh, Sometimes as a young coach, you're looking, oh, this looks great, oh, this looks great, but it might not necessarily feel in your philosophy. So I think it's about developing uh, your philosophy as a coach. And um, we all steal from each other. I mean, that's the reality of it. Um, and some of the greatest minds, they had to learn, you know, those things. Um, you know, in, in coaching, there are not as many innovators, I think, uh, these days. I think... Uh, you, you pick things up from other people uh, and you adapt them to your system. Uh, I think that's kind of part of the process. Um, and, and there's no blueprint to it either, you know. Um, I think, I think you've got to... Uh, what's, what's comfortable with you, with your personality and, and your philosophy. And there's so many different ways to play the game as well. Is there um, anyone that's really the really influenced you, you would say that maybe, I don't know if it's a nugget of, of wisdom or one coach that you thought that's, that's my baseline to kind of build around and grow out of. Yeah. I think, I think my, my junior coaches in Greece, uh, I, I was, I was very lucky. I had, you know, then there've got to be names that people would never have heard of necessarily, but they, I was, I was very blessed to have some really good coaches um, and and I think that has been valuable, um, and and I think obviously there is more well known names. I mean, se- Greek basketball is influenced heavily by Serbian basketball mm-hmm. or Yugoslavian basketball. Um, so you know, as a young coach watching Panathinaikos play with Obradovic and and then going to clinics, so certainly you know uh, picked up things from there. Um, but but I think I I, th- I think I'm very open minded. I don't think there is one particular person. We all follow different coaches. I mean, I could talk about Coach K at Duke. Uh, I think there's different coaches that have kind of developed 
and my philosophy and I've picked things up from them, Roy Williams in North Carolina. So, so I think I've, I have seen some stuff from America, um, but I think certainly uh, my experience growing up in Greece as well, uh, Serbi- Serbian basketball had a lot of influence and, and coaches like Ivkovic and, and Obradovic, I think, have actually shaped a lot of my philosophy and I had opportunity to watch seminars ask questions, find out more from the game, really, from them. And uh, and, then, and then and then a lot, as I said before, it has been a bit trial and error, finding out things about. And, and you know, just because Obradovic does a particular thing, I think people can get caught sometimes, or Obradovic does that, but, but you know, Obradovic has his system, has his method. It doesn't mean that it fits everyone, basically. Um, Would you say it's, it's the case? And other coaches, I think, even on this podcast, have said this before, that... Mm. We are not as good in this country at creating that sort of fraternity, sorority of coaches that kind of help each other, kind of allow, allow you to study off one another and, and share that, that knowledge and transfer that knowledge as well as you would find in Greece or Spain or France. Yeah, I think it's a, a coaching development, uh, the mentorship element uh, and the education. I mean... There are areas that you you can go into more, uh, certainly. I, I mean, I mean it, it's difficult. I when I when I'm asked a similar type of question, I'm, I'm always going back to to the pathway. We need we need to make uh, to make it more of a professional, and and we've got to create a pathway. There's so many great British coaches um, that I feel should be having the opportunity to be involved uh, in the BBL. Um, and and I think there needs to be more of uh, we talk about players pathways I, I think coaching pathways as important uh, and and assistant coaches positions not just head coaching positions um, and 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 I think with us is we were able to progress to the BBL and and you know I'm coaching in the BBL now entering I think my seventh year um, but but that has been a product of the success and the development of the club program. It hasn't necessarily been part of the of the coaching pathway that exists. Um, I, I mean, the thing is, you know, um, I think when Warwick Khan was working for Basketball England and then uh, basket, uh, you know, British basketball as well, uh, I I learned a lot under his leadership. Uh, he was one that spent time with the coaches and for we had these national team camps where all the different junior age groups from Scotland, Wales and England were able to be together and I think that was a valuable experience and I think we need more things like that uh, because that's really being around coaches uh, and learning from each other is valuable and that, that mentor ele- mentorship element as well. Um, but certainly there have to be more job opportunities out there for coaches as well. Uh, because, uh, you know, people talk to me like, you know, p- people that are not very aware of British basketball, I always have that conversation, like Greek coaches, and, and they're asking about jo- jobs in Britain and things like that. And we have some very talented coaches here. Uh, I think we just don't have the opportunities for them. And unfortunately, you know, uh, the, the, the profession here is not necessarily such that uh, some people get discouraged and they will go into other sectors to work rather than be able to get a full-time job in coaching. Uh, and it's a real shame. And, and that's something that we certainly need to be working. And I think the BBL, the level is increasing. 
uh, for the players. And I think there's some quality coaches out there that we should strive to get more involved with our league as well. You've you've had this great journey that's been in tandem with with Bristol. Well, you know, it's the academy flyers and other flyers from Division mm-hmm. Two and then the MBL to to the BBL. And I guess the great thing there is that you know that you've they've had that faith in you. You're very much integrated in that that program. Now you're in the BBL for a few years. Do you still? feel that I mean as you talked about in your PhD the turnover of managers is there a pressure that you feel to win in the same way that a coach coming in in a football club has that pressure to win because they know that your job depends on this yeah I mean I I want to win I want to win every single uh, time I step on the floor so uh uh, I'm extremely competitive, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I would not, uh, I, I would not even go into a game thinking, you know, oh, that doesn't matter as much if we're going to win or not. Um, but I know what you're saying. I think, you know, I, I have been in Bristol. I mean, it feels like a lifetime, um, and it's, it has been great to see the program going from, you know, the lowest division in in English basketball uh, to the top uh, flight in British basketball. And uh, it has been a great journey, uh, but I don't take it for granted. And, and you know, I'm very passionate about program becoming one of the best in the country and, and also have European aspirations. So actually, um, it might not be necessarily the same pressure that the coach coming into a club, uh, you know, and, and starting and, and has to win and get results. It might not be that type of pressure, but certainly... Um, we still have ambitions here in Bristol and uh, you know it's great that uh, through this journey Nick Burns has been with me from day one so both of us as coaches have seen this development of the program and, and we want to keep on pushing forward so it, so it's different it's just a it's just a different situation from a coach coming in and they need to get the results because probably they will be given maybe a year or two and if they don't do that, then they will have to uh, change. I think for us, it's a more of a long-term plan. Um, and, and you know, we're building something here. Uh, and, and we have aspirations with a new facility and everything that comes about. So I think it's, it's a different type of pressure. And, and I think I'm, I'm a, sometimes I might be a little bit more invested, if you want to call it, because mm-hmm. this is not just a job for me. This is, this is my life. You know, this has been the last 16, 17 years of my life, basically. Um, so it's more than a job. Uh, and what's happened here in Bristol, uh, this journey, it's very difficult to describe sometimes when people ask me about it. I mean, this this arena that's you know, hopefully going to be in stream in the next couple of years, I mean, from where you started as a as a club to where this could, could end up, I mean, how do you view the impact that's going to have? Uh, I mean, the facility's got to be a game changer. I mean, uh, SGS and and the Wise Campus um, have their impact to Bristol basketball. Uh, I mean, Bristol basketball will not be what it is without SGS. Um, but at the same time, our facility, uh, it's, you know, uh, 800 seats capacity and, and we need a bigger venue. Um, and the new venue uh, it will be a 4,000 seat uh, arena uh, and it, it would change um, a club overnight in a number of 
of ways. Um, the, the exposure they will provide, um, I mean, from a budget standpoint as well, uh, ticketing revenue, uh, sponsorship opportunities that you cannot capitalize at the moment. Um, so the new venue uh, will be a game changer uh, for us. And it's something that has been coming for a long way. And, and you know, it will not be achievable without the Lansdowne family. Uh, I mean, you see what they've done with Bristol City and Bristol Bears. I mean, Bristol Bears winning the European title uh, last week. Um, and, and I think uh, being able to be um, close to Aston Gate and, you know, have a football game or a rugby game and followed by a basketball game a few hours later, I mean, what a tremendous day that will be. Um, so I think, I think it's great for basketball in Bristol um, and, and the opportunities it will offer. But I think it's, it's part of this big uh, Bristol sport family that we're part of as well. Uh, so it, it will transform the club in, in a lot of ways. And SGS will always be at its heart because it's the academy program, the junior program there. Uh, but to have a much bigger facility it will certainly uh, help with the aspirations that we have domestically and in Europe as well. Bristol Sport, I mean, it's, its main benefactor, as you mentioned, the, you know, the Lansdowne family, Stephen Lansdowne in particular. I mean, how much, give us a flavour, how much do you interact with him? How much does he share his ambitions, mission with you? What, what's the kind of relationship like then? Uh, I think uh, just we, we work very close with the family, with, with his son, John, uh, deals with the day-to-day uh, running. Uh, so, so we have a close relationship. Uh, and, and really, they're very uh, invested in basketball. Uh, they really believe it as a sport. Uh, and uh, he sits alongside football and rugby. Um, and it's a different model. You don't see that. The, the inspiration is uh, Stephen and John visited uh, Barcelona and they were able to experience the football and basketball stadium next to each other. And that's where the vision from Bristol Sport came. Um, so they're about uh, leaving a sporting legacy in, in Bristol. Um, and I think the opportunity to be under the Bristol Sport umbrella for the Flyers uh, has has changed everything really and and the reality is um, SGS have done a lot for the program in basketball but to make the transition to the BBL we would not have been able to do it without Bristol Sport and without Stephen Lansdowne um, and, and they really care, they really want to see basketball growing um, they, they see that basketball uh, has great uh, opportunity and it's 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 a market that uh, can have big growth here in the UK um, and I think uh, they they really want to help us progress and and their relationship is is, is great uh, I mean uh, there, there is a real interest there and, and and the reality is football and rugby are a big sport they're big players and uh, but just to be part of that family and be able to, to share resources and, and learn from the other clubs as well that have been running for such a long time, it's it's something that's a unique experience here in Bristol. Do you I mean do you share any kind of learnings with your you know fellow fellow clubs? I mean, would you do you and you know, Pat Lamb and Dean Holden go for a you know go for a beer on a Tuesday night and you know trade trade ideas as rugby, basketball, and football? My sort of uh, geniuses. 
Yeah, we have done over the years, actually. I mean, uh, last year I had also the opportunity to go to uh, to observe a day uh, at the Bears training and, and see how Pat Lamb and his staff operate with the players. I actually, believe it or not, I did a, a defensive drill. Uh, <laughs> Pat asked me, like, they wanted to work on their footwork and I just ran some drills. Uh, so there, there's me doing foot fire and, and defensive slides with uh, with professional rugby players, basically. So that was a, a great experience. So, so yeah, there is a lot of, uh, of sharing and... Uh, and you mentioned the, the two current coaches of the two sports, but uh, across these seven years, six, seven years, uh, the different coaches and managers that have been with the program, uh, I've been able to speak to them and learn from them and, 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 and see what they do. Sometimes the reality is they have uh, different resources to what the basketball program has. <laughs> uh, but that's natural as well when the sports are. So that's a, that's a absolutely a natural thing. But, but it's just great to learn from him. And, and I mean, we're talking about Pat Lam. I mean, what he has done with Bristol the last couple of years and now winning the European title and the culture and, and, and the inspiration to the Bristol community. I mean, it has been tremendous. So certainly being around him and, uh, and both football and rugby uh, has been a valuable experience for us. I imagine Pat Lamb in his day would have been a ferocious sort of old school big centre the immovable beast in the low block with uh, with the skills that he had but uh, yeah I'm sure he's still got it. Um, let's just talk a bit about this, this season coming up and, and Joel Osborne will kill me if I don't mention this but you know this weekend you guys SGS College Arena Saturday night live and free game on the all new Flowers TV and then Sunday you're heading up to to take on Cheshire at uh, five o'clock, it's a it's a new. I mean, you've always managed to keep some continuity in the roster, but it's you know it is a new look in certain areas. I mean, Josh Wilshire, a big signing coming in from Plymouth. You've got Zach Copeland's looked pretty good so far out of uh, Illinois State. And what's your sense of this group? Uh, I really like this group, uh, Mark. I think um, I, I've loved practice. I mean, f- first of all, obviously. We've all been home for such a long time, so just being back on the basketball court is amazing. Uh, but I really love this group. Um, uh, I think uh, high levels of effort, uh, very focused. Uh, it, it has been great fun being on the floor, and I think everyone complements each other very well. Um, always we try to keep consistency in our groups, uh, so seeing people returning uh, is, is great because they know what we're about and they know the system. Um, and then just adding some new players uh, that that will really help us uh, elevate. So uh, it has been it has been great. And and you know I, I said to them uh, we just we finished practice and I said to them today I'm really looking forward to the weekend, two games, uh, an opportunity to see us on the floor. Um, and, and I think what what we have here is we have the development of players over years as well. Like someone like Danny Dozy, our captain. He's been with us now, you know, this is year six for him. And to see how he has developed his game and where he is um, and, and how, he, how we do things, I think that, that's also another, another great thing about the program, really. And I think it goes back to, you know, what you asked me before about, you know, if the pressure of winning and if you're a, a coach coming in straight away or someone that has been here for a while, I think, um, you, you know, what we have developed here in our time in the BBL uh, and the consistency that we have had through the group by also adding 
different components to it. And you talked about Zach Copeland and, and we brought Liam Davis and obviously Josh Wilcher, uh, who hasn't played yet in preseason, uh, but he's got to be a tremendous addition for us as well. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the group that we have and, and, and hopefully we can get going with our season very soon. Um, so we can put that team on the floor. I mean, it's an incredibly, normally this time of year I'm sitting down and I'm kind of mulling over pre-season previews and predictions and stuff. And I've seen a few out there. That's for nonsense. You can't tell what anyone's doing because hardly anyone's played. People are bringing in rosters late. A few teams may not be bringing in the players that they said they were going to be. But you've, you've kind of played two teams that are a bit more settled in, in Sheffield and London. So, I mean, what's your sense of how competitive this league will be and what your potential? Or are you, are you finding this as an impossible question as the rest of us? No, I think, I mean, it is difficult to say because there is plenty of uncertainties. Um, however, going into this season, um, I mean, all clubs seem to be making um, good signings and, and adding more depth to their roster. So I think um, under normal circumstances, we'll be heading to what will be, I would think, one of the most competitive seasons uh, in the BBL. And every year we've been in the BBL, I think the level has got better and better. And I think this year will have been very interesting under normal circumstances to see how things will shape up. Um, but certainly, I mean, we played against London and Sheffield. Sheffield, you know, have a combination of, of play, a core group that has been there for a while. And, and a couple of additions and they look very strong this year I mean London Lions I mean when we play them they didn't have people like Justin playing for them so they have a lot of depth as well um, I, I think if everything if we can get underway and everyone has the players that have, have signed I think it could be a very very exciting season for the league um so, but, but it's difficult to kind of make predictions. There's a lot of uncertainties out there. Um, certainly, I, I really like our group and, and I think we can do well this year. Um, but I think a, a, every coach, if you ask them, they will say that for their team, I think, at this point of the season. So, but there, there, there's, there's, plenty of unser- there's plenty of uncertainties to, to go about. But, but certainly, I think if we can get things underway, I think it will be a very competitive year. I mean, given the result against London and given the fact they were below full strength, do you see them being beatable? I mean, obviously, maybe in a one-off game occasionally, but do you see them as a team that's going to sweep? Uh, it's a difficult question. I mean, at the end of the day, you can only play five at one time. <laughs> um, so um, so there's a lot of things coming into it, really. It's the chemistry of the group and, and how they're going to be able to handle different things through the course of the year. Um, yeah, I, I know everyone is talking uh, about them being the favourite and, and on paper they are. I mean, they're so deep. Uh, they have a lot of quality. Um, but, but, you know, like, um, it, it, it's difficult to call at this point, I think. Um, a lot of things happen through the course of the season. And, and certainly, if you were to put it on paper on the talent that they have, uh, they're the best at the BBL. Uh, team has ever seen. I mean, you could argue they have enough talent for two teams in the league. Uh, well, they've probably got enough budget for two teams, but that's a different matter. Yeah. So, so I think I think I think I think they're very talented, and but but I think you cannot call it right now. I mean, there's so many quality teams, uh, you know, and and I think 
and you can only play five five players at at the time. So um, uh, and and it comes down to what the other teams would do as well and how they would gel. So, uh, but certainly they look strong, and and they're not going to be a tough tough match, home or away. They're not going to be easy to play. There's going to be a few challenges that you have to deal with. Let's let's get you out of here in this one. Um, you talked about you know trying to explore your potential in basketball and potential in life at this point in time. And Nick Nurse or you know, our old chum will, will be a guest in the, on the show in the next couple of weeks. But he, what he was talking to me about you know, the, the journey and you know the fact that this league has produced you know coaches that have gone somewhere, which is you know is part of that pathway. You. As you sit here now, when you're your sort of you know still earlyish stage of a, of a career, where do you want to go with this? Uh, very good question. It's very difficult to say. Um, you know where you're going to be in five years, ten years time, all those things. Um, I'm enjoying the moment. Um, I feel my job in Bristol is is far from over. Um, I think I want to see where this club is going to be in the next few years um, and I mean Nick Nurse I mean his journey has been unbelievable right I mean uh, I mean it's what dreams are made of um, but he's made it possible with his hard work um, and I, I think it's very difficult to say I, I just want to I just want to make sure uh, when it's when it's all done uh, I've I've enjoyed everything every opportunity that I've had along the way. And, uh, you know, everyone obviously wants to coach at a high level. And, you know, every player would like to play in the NBA and every coach would like to have that opportunity, right? Um, I, I think I think for me, though, it's just enjoying what I'm doing. And, and the point that I will not enjoy coaching, then I, I will stop. Uh, and I think it's very easy sometimes to think, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. I think for me the most important thing is enjoy what I'm doing right now. And I love being in Bristol and and I'm excited for the future ahead. Um, and I, I, I don't want to rush too far ahead. Um, and, 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 and I'm certain Nick, I mean, it would be very, I, I would love to hear his interview. Um, but I'm certain it's good. Trust me, it's worth it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I, I will be. I mean, his. I mean, as I said, his journey has been unbelievable, um, and maybe he had always that clear goal, perhaps, of 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 going to the NBA. For me, the the NBA or or coaching in Europe in the Euroleague or whatever, that's not necessarily the end goal. For me, for me, it's about more about the program, uh, and and that's why I've been in Bristol for so long. Uh, I think it's about developing the program and see how the program, how far it go, and then any opportunities that arise from it, uh, I, 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 will, I will go for it. But I think for me, it's it's just important to stay in the moment and just enjoy what I'm doing. And and the moment that I feel that I'm not, then I will probably walk away from it, kind of thing, um, and 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 do something different. But certainly, um, I think basketball in Bristol and. And, and coaching has a, a few more things for me along the way. <laughs> Until Olympiacos call, and then you'll be off. Whirlwind, you'll be out the door this fast year. Well, the, the tricky thing could be if Panathinaikos calls, what I would do then. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, just go, just go. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we wish you well whenever the season starts, maybe next week, maybe a few weeks, who knows, but uh, hopefully it's a good one for the Flowers. Um, always a great pleasure talking to you, and um, thanks for joining us on the MVP cast, Andreas.
It has been a pleasure, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That is it for this edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Search for them, Google, or give them a follow on social media at TU Compliance Limited. You can, of course, get all our previous editions at mvp247.com. Subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. Or if you want to reach me, get me on Twitter at Mark Britton. Another edition of the MVP Cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thank you for listening. And it's bye for now.